If you have a Bible with you this morning, or an iPad, or an iPod, or whatever you use, again today, if you would, if you're able, stand with me, if you could, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to be reading, starting in verse 14, down to verse 27. So if you can stand with me, I would appreciate it uh, as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start... Uh, verse 14, and we won't quite make it through the re- end of this chapter, but we're getting close. Verse 14, Paul writes this. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray again. God, thank you for this passage of scripture that really keeps our heart in check helps us from falling off the two sides of the road that we travel father this morning i pray as we examine those two extremes those two errors that can happen in our christian walk i i hope that you i pray that you would help us to see the center line to help us to focus on on the path ahead of us the road and, and stay right there Father, I pray that you would help me this morning as I speak, that my words would be yours, and that I would speak truthfully, and that we together could learn from your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Have you ever watched a young guy when he first gets his driving permit? Um... I'm going to pick on guys a little bit because I am one, and uh, they tend to be a little more aggressive uh, than the gals when they get that driving permit. What does he do when he first gets that thing? He wants to test that car out, right? See how it'll go. Uh, now, some of our young kids don't know it, um, but uh, they don't know that I see them sometimes when they come into our icy parking lot, and they do a couple numbers before they head back out because I don't park out here. I just walk, and so I can see them. Uh, they don't always see me. Uh, I've seen some of them uh, from f- the front door to the driveway. I don't know if they peeked out at 45 or not, but it was close. 
floor it heading down the driveway and then punch the brakes uh, when they hit uh, down there at the end of the driveway. Now, I'm not going to name any names. I won't embarrass anyone. Um, but what is the most basic rule that you learn whenever you get your driving permit and you do your driver's training? Uh, I think probably one of the most basic rules on the road is keep it between the lines, right? There's a yellow line on your left. There's a white line on your right. Just Keep it between the lines. It's an, it's an easy rule. It's a rule that once you master, then you can start working on things like what radio station you want it to be on or uh, heat or air, all that. You've got to keep it between the lines and then we'll do all the other stuff, right? Well, I have to tell you a story, and, and my mom is here, so she may be embarrassed by this as much as I am, but when I was 15 years old, I almost killed my mother. Uh, we were driving. Uh, I had my driver's permit, and we were going from Montgomery, heading toward Ligoti, but we weren't quite to Kennelberg yet. And mom was faithfully riding over here in this passenger side, and, and we had a panel wagon. Do you know what a panel wagon is? Uh, one of those long station wagons has paneling down the side of it. Uh, that's what it was. And, and so mom's keeping an eye out for danger, and I'm driving. Well, as fate would have it, we got behind a slow-moving vehicle. Now, by slow-moving, he was probably five miles per hour under the speed limit. But to me, that was slow moving. And so I decided it was time to test this car out. I crossed the center line and I gave it the gas. It was my first attempt at passing a vehicle uh, on the highway. What I failed to calculate that day was the speed of the pickup truck that was coming toward us. Um, when I should have been concentrating on keep it between the lines, um, I cross the left and now I'm in trouble. Um, I was even with the car that I was passing uh, when I think that the panic started to set in with my mom. And I heard her start screaming, punch it, punch it, punch it. And um, I really didn't know if it meant the gas or the brakes. So I thought, we're going for it. And I, I punched the gas and you know, it came down to this. Um, there were only really two options. Somebody was hitting the ditch or we were going three wide because I wasn't going to make it. And as we got closer, the pickup truck that, that was coming, he swerved off of the edge of the highway. He kind of hit the, the gravel there and dust sort of rolled. And, and here goes this eight-cylinder blue flash on the way, uh, the rest of the way to Counterberg. And nobody was hurt, thankfully. Um, a couple of things happened after, a couple of funny things actually as a result of that. I, I don't remember my mom saying anything after that happened. And I don't know if she was petrified with fear or just knew that I had learned my lesson. I'm not sure. Uh, the other thing that was kind of funny, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the guy that I ran off the road that morning is sitting in this room this morning. And I'm going to talk to him later and make sure, but I'm pretty sure he's here today. What lesson did I learn that morning? Keep it between the lines. Keep it between the lines. You can go too far to the right and you can hit the ditch. You can go too far to the left and you can encounter danger. It's keep it between the lines. And I tell you that story to tell you this. It's that same principle that Paul's getting ready to draw out of this text this morning. He's getting ready to say, keep it between the lines. 
You can go too far to the right and you can go too far to the left whenever you start thinking about church and how you experience your Christian life. We can go too far in thinking about how God has gifted us and we can, we can go off in the ditch of self-pity and we can say, I'm a nobody. God didn't gift me. I, I don't have any talents. I don't have any gifts. I'm just a nobody. We can also go too far to the left and we can think, I am a somebody. And our, our chest can go out in pride and we can say, I have a wonderful gift of God. He has gifted me in marvelous ways and now I'm going to let the whole world see who I am. We can go either direction. And I think what Paul's getting ready to say here is either direction is a manifestation of pride. And pride is something that this church struggled with in Corinth. Let me show you how you can be pride. It's easy to see pride in somebody who says, I am a somebody. I am the best. I am the most important. Everyone look at me. It's easy to see pride in that person. And that's an error in one direction. In the other direction, though, when somebody says, I am a nobody, God hasn't gifted me, that is actually a display of pride because it says this, God, I deserved better. I deserved more than what you gave me. And because you didn't give me what I think I deserve, I'm going to sulk over here in the corner because I'm a nobody. You see, both postures are pride. And Paul is continually just coming at this church, nailing this church because of their pride. And so what we're going to learn this morning is that this gift, these spiritual gifts, these things that God has given every believer to edify the body, to to bless the body of Christ, both of these, all of these gifts can be a source of pride in our lives. And so we want to focus on how do we keep it between the lines when we think about this idea of our spiritual gifting. Now, spiritual gifts are only possessed by believers. You get that at conversion. If you're an unbeliever and you're in this room this morning, um, an unbeliever is a person who lives for himself. An unbeliever is a person who does not bow in submission to the authority of God. An unbeliever is a person who continually violates the law of God and often has no regard, most of the time never does, have a regard for the law of God. Because of that, with an unbeliever, God is is angry toward the sin of an unbeliever. We say that God's wrath rests upon the unbeliever. He stands under judgment already, John 3 says. God created all, God owns all, and because of that, God calls the shots. God makes the rules, and when you and I violate his rules, then we deserve his punishment that he set up. But God is a kind, and he's a gracious God. And instead of just wiping us off the earth whenever we did a sin, uh, he sent his own son to walk in our place. And Jesus walked perfectly for 33 years. That was his goal in coming and walking on planet earth. At the end of his life, he died. He died, not you and I. He died as our substitute. He He was our sin sacrifice. God took all of our sin and put it on him. And he said, my son will die in your place. Three days later, he rose again. And when you and I believe in that, 
When you and I trust in that, that Jesus rose from the dead, and when you and I confess him as Lord, we call that conversion. And there are a few things that happen at conversion. Number one, we're saved from the wrath of God. It no longer rests upon us. That wrath has been taken off, and it was all carried out on Jesus Christ. Number two, when we're converted, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. We now can walk with a power that we never had before. We can walk in obedience to Christ because the Holy Spirit is there. He gives us power to obey His commands. And thirdly, what we're looking at this morning is God gives that new believer, that converted person, a spiritual gift. That is something that that person has that he, can, he or she can use to edify or build up the body of Christ. Now, next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at some specific gifts that you might have today. But just know for now that every believer has a spiritual gift. And here's the temptation. We tend to look around at other people and we compare ourselves. We say, oh, he's such a good teacher. I wish I could be like him. And because I'm not like him, because I'm not up front, or because I don't have this Sunday school class, or because I I don't lead a small group, I must just be a nobody. And we sort of crumble, and our head hangs down. Or we have a temptation to look at people around us, and we say, oh, wow, I got a really cool gift. I'm kind of out in front of everybody, and, and everybody gets to see me. I must be very important. There must not be anybody who can replace me. And our chest kind of puffs out. And what Paul's going to tell us this morning is, keep it between the lines. Don't go too far to the one direction where there's all the self-pity of, I am a nobody, I, I must not be worth anything. And don't go too far the other way that says, I am a somebody, and, and, and everybody must think that I'm the best, I'm the greatest. Okay? These are the two areas that Paul's going to look at this morning. Paul's going to address with his church. So let's look at the one problem of, of going too far to the one side that says, I am a nobody. Okay? Look at verse 14. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it in any less way a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Let's stop right there for a second. Paul picks up on this word picture that he's been using, this, this picture of a body. And it makes a lot of sense because as you look at how our bodies work, each of our parts interrelate to form one unit. And Paul here begins to make some absurd kind of statements as if our body parts could start talking to each other. It's kind of funny as you read it, but he he makes this point and he says this. The foot looks at the hand and says, well, you know, if I can't be a hand, then I might as well not be part of the body. Now, why would the foot say that? I think the foot would say that because the foot is not a real glamorous part of the body, right? Uh, The foot is a part of the body uh, that can begin to be a little smelly. And if you're a guy in particular, hair starts growing on the top of your foot. It's kind of ugly. It's unattractive. 
And you see some people's toes and they're sort of all gnarled up. And so what do we do with our feet? We put on socks and we put on shoes and we kind of try to hide our feet. We try to make them more attractive. Generally, our feet are always covered up. But what about the hands? The hands are always out there. Everybody sees the hands, right? You can watch commercials and and they'll sell you lotion on how to lotion your hands and make them all soft and nice. And you see gals in particular and they'll wear, wear beautiful jewelry on their hands. Our hands are rarely covered up except when it's extremely cold outside. Our hands are always out front. They're always noticeable. They're always visible. And our poor feet are always covered up. They're out of sight. They're, they're behind the scenes, okay? So in this absurd statement that Paul is setting up, the foot starts to throw a pity party. And the foot says, well, if I can't be out front like the hand, if I can't be all glamorous like the hand, if there aren't any lotion commercials for me like there are for the hand, then I'm just a nobody, I might as well not even exist. I might as well detach myself from the body because I'm that unimportant. You see what the foot is doing here? Now what the foot is failing to recognize is this. It has a very significant part to the body. If the feet were to detach, who would carry the hands around? If the feet were to quit walking, the rest of the body would be stationary and it wouldn't be able to carry out its function, you see? What the foot is doing is not keeping it between the lines, but the foot is falling off into the ditch of self-pity. And the foot is saying, if it's not like the hand, then I must be a nobody. Paul uses another example. And he uses an example of the ear and the eye. Another absurd conversation that takes place. The ear looks at the eye. (laughs) That's funny. The ear looks at the eye. Get it? Okay. Uh, Never mind. You'll get it later. The ear looks at the eye and says, if I can't be an eye, I must be nobody. Everybody notices the eyes, but nobody notices me, right? Right? The ears always get ignored, right? I have never, I have yet to do pre-marriage counseling with a young lady where she says, I'm dating this young man and he has such beautiful ears. Never hear that, right? The ears are something you don't notice. They're there, but they're not really that glamorous. But what about the eyes? Oh, the eyes. That young lady just bats her little eyelashes and the guy just swoons, right? You notice the eyes. You notice the color of the eyes. They're attractive. They're out front. But the ears you never notice. And you see what happens? The ear here is starting to throw a pity party. Nobody ever notices me. They only ever notice the eyes. I must be a nobody. I am insignificant. I have no part of this body. I wish I didn't even exist. God, why did you make me like this? Who am I? I might as well just sit back and do nothing. But there are some people in this room 
that are hard of hearing. And they can attest to you this. Those ears are very, very important. Because without the ears, you can't hear the danger sometimes that's coming. Without the ears, you can't hear other things that are, that are talking behind you or to the side of you. And while the, the ears are unnoticed often, they're vitally important to the body. The ears should never say, I should detach. Because without the ears, the body would suffer tremendously. And that's what Paul is getting ready to say. Look at verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And the answers are self-evident. If the whole body were an eye, we wouldn't have a body. We'd have a monster. If the whole body were an ear, we wouldn't have a body. We'd have this weird thing out of a sci-fi movie. It's not a body. It'd just be this giant ear. We need every part of the body to, in fact, make it a body. And before we fall off into the ditch of self-pity, woe is me, I'm a nobody, Paul tries to help us keep it between the lines. And look what he says in verse 18. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Who gifted the members of the body? God did. And who arranged the members of the body like they are? God did. And how many of the members did God gift? All of them. So every member, God arranged exactly how he wanted it so that that body could be one, so that body could function. You know what this tells us? You are not a nobody. It doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. God gave you that gift, and he gave you that gift so that you could be a blessing to the body. Listen, friend, the body needs you. If you are a foot, we need you. If you are an ear, we need you. And if you are a hand and you are an eye, we'll get to that in a second, but those parts need you. Don't ever make the mistake of saying, I'm a nobody because I just got this gift. In fact, I would say this. If you're not content with the gift that God has given you, whatever talent, whatever blessing God has given you, you are actually rebelling against and you are actually acting selfishly against a sovereign God who put you exactly where he wanted you to be. Some people say, but I want to be a teacher. I want to be out there in front. I, I want to be right there where everybody notice me, notices me. They get all the recognition. They get all the glamour. Maybe God hasn't gifted you that way. Maybe God has given you the gift of mercy or the gift of helping. Those are gifts that are rarely seen by other people. Those are gifts that happen in the background. Gifts of hospitality. Gifts of, of administration. But whatever gift you have, you exercise that gift and don't try to pursue another one. If you try to pursue, let's say, the, the gift of teaching and God hasn't equipped you with that, then you're going to struggle in that. It's not going to fit right. And other people are going to notice. 
And you're not going to be used exactly the way God wants you to, to use, God wants to use you. So don't fall into the trap of saying, I'm a nobody. If God gave you a gift, then you are a somebody and he expects you to use that gift, whatever that talent is. Well, some person will say, if I can't be up front, uh, then I'm just going to quit. I- I'm, just, I'm just not going to do anything. My gift doesn't matter. Uh, and they begin to withdraw. And they, they begin to sit on the sidelines. And, and they don't do anything. They just quit participating. Because if I can't be that, well, then, then I'm a nothing. It has been said that a football game could be defined like this. <laughs> it could be defined as 22 men who desperately need rest being watched by 50,000 people who desperately need exercise. <laughs> it can be, it's a spectator sport. Christianity is not supposed to be like that. We're not supposed to say, let the 22 do their thing, and I'm just going to sit back and I'm not going to do anything because God didn't gift me. I'm a nobody. I'm useless. So I'm just going to withdraw and I'm just going to let them do their thing. Friend, that is not how God designed the body. God said, if you're a believer, you're not a nobody. I've given you a gift. Now get in there and use it to the maximum. Whatever it is, whether it's out front or whether nobody sees you behind the scenes, you use your gift. It's vitally important to the rest of the body. That's keeping it between the lines. That's keeping it balanced. What about the other side? Because there are some that find great pride uh, in the gift that they have. Look at verse 21. Paul starts into this. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Some more conversations between body parts. It's as though uh, the eye turns to the hand and says, Hand, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I can see just fine. Just go get rid of yourself. You are unnecessary. I can do this alone. Or what if the head, this thing on top of our shoulders, looks down at those smelly feet and says, I don't need you, feet. Be gone. Get, Get out of here. I've got the brain. I've got the smarts. I've got the sight. I can, I can do it all myself. I don't need you. If the feet detached, who would carry that head around? Right? He forgets that he needs those others. For a person to have an overinflated view of their importance will inevitably bring division in the church. Because for one who says, I can do it all, I don't need you, then inevitably he will begin to divide and the church will crumble because all of the parts are necessary. Yeah, the head is up top. Yeah, the head is out front. Yeah, the eyes are the ones that everybody notices. But without the feet and without the hands and without all the other body parts, that body cannot function. You can't have a choir of one person. You can't have a football team that are all quarterbacks. Can you imagine if the team huddled right before the play and everybody on the team says, I'm going to be the quarterback on this play? What would happen? 
the ball would never advance because you need the offensive linemen. You need the running backs. You can't have the whole team be a quarterback. It doesn't matter who's out front. It doesn't matter who's the head. He needs the rest of the body in order to function. One of our early church fathers commented on this text and he said this, no matter how elevated a person may be, if no one is under him, his rank is worthless. The greatest emperor still needs an army. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't matter how high we think our rank is. If there's no supporting structure beneath us, then there's no body that's going to function. It's going to fall apart. That one gift will crumble because by itself it's useless. It needs the rest of them. Here's how Paul describes it. Look at verses 22 down through 24. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And he's talking about here our internal organs. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. What are the, what are the parts of the body that you and I consider as weaker? Probably those parts of the body that we can't see, right? Our, our internal organs. We don't often think about the function of our liver, do we? But if that liver ever quits working, we have some tremendous life-threatening problems, right? We can't see the liver. We don't ever think about it. It's unattractive if you would pull it out. It's not very glamorous, but it is quite necessary to the function of the body. The hands and the eyes get all the attention, but what keeps the body alive? All those internal things, right? The lungs, the stomach, the heart, the intestines. You know what? We value the head quite a bit. And we spend a lot of time in front of the mirror fixing up our face or or fixing our hair in just such a way. And we put a lot of value on that. But friends, if a doctor stood before you and said, do you want a functioning liver or do you want a full head of hair? Which one is more important now? Right? The things that we don't see, those gifts, this is Paul's point, those people that are gifted behind the scenes that you never see, they are vitally important to life. And while the the ones out front get all the attention, what Paul wants to drive away here is this. Look, if you are the eyes, we we could more easily get rid of you and survive than we could surviving without our lungs, without our stomach, without our intestines. It's meant to bring that one with, with showy gifts, that one to, that has the out front gifts, it's meant to bring him or her a little bit lower. It's meant to say, um, I am a somebody, yes, but it's only because God has gifted me that way. I can never take pride in the gift I have because it was only because God gifted me that way. It's to ratchet down the pride. It's to help, as I'm describing this morning, for us to keep it between the lines. Don't fall into self-pity, but also don't fall into self-sufficiency. You need the rest of the body in order to function. Look at the end of verse 24. God has so composed the body 
giving greater honor to the one that lacked it. I like that. God gives greater honor to those that lack the showy gifts, those that are out front, those that are presentable. It's, it may very well be the case that when you and I get to heaven, the guy who kept the toilets working will receive far greater honor than the best Sunday school teacher we had. You know that? It may very well be that when you and I get to heaven, the guys and gals that kept our toddlers corralled back there in the nursery and kept them alive for an hour will receive far greater honor than the one who stands behind this pulpit and teaches you. Because God gives greater honor to those who are behind the scenes often, who aren't out front. That's who God says, I love these folks. Because they're the ones that keep the church running. They're the ones that keep the body going. These two truths. I'm not a nobody, but I'm only a somebody because of Jesus Christ. If we keep those two things in tandem, what does it do? It brings up the person who says I'm a nobody, and it brings down the person who thinks I am a somebody, and it brings them to a level playing field. And so all of a sudden, there's a genuine oneness that takes place. There's a unity there that doesn't exist when one person thinks he's high and mighty and another person thinks he's worthless. It's a great leveling concept. And we say the ground at the foot of the cross is level. When pride is destroyed, it levels out the playing field before you and I. Check this out. Verse 25. Why does this happen? so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one, of one another. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. If one member is honored, they all rejoice together. We had some prayer requests this morning for some families and people that are struggling, some people that are hurting. And when that happens, as the body of Christ, we hurt with them. We walk through it with them. We come alongside because when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt, right? If I have my finger here and I slam it with a hammer, hammer, my finger is going to send by nerve signal to my brain and it's going to indicate that it's in pain and the rest of my body is going to join in and suffer with it, right? I'm going to do the dance. Ah, my voice is going to, ah, right? I suffer with the member that's suffering, That's what this is talking about. We're all part of one body. We suffer together. And then on the flip side, if a person is rejoicing, we rejoice with them. When when somebody has a new baby, when somebody gets another letter for their jacket, when a marriage is coming together because husband and wife are serving one another, we rejoice with them. We're happy with them. We we praise them. We, We come alongside of them. Why? Because when that part of the body rejoices, the rest of the body joins in and rejoices with them. When you and I don't have an overinflated or an underinflated view of our gifts, we come together as one. And so in unity, we rejoice with each other and we suffer with each other. It's these two great truths that keep us between the lines, that keep us on the road, on the right road. So, what gives us value? And at the same time, what gives us humility? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. 
let me finish up like this. Let, let, me, let me tell you something that's initially going to sound like a contradiction to everything I've just said, and then I'll explain it so that it makes sense. So hear me out on this, okay? Question number one. Are you a nobody? Answer, yes. In and of yourself, you are a nobody. The Bible says we are weak, we are wicked, we are poor, we are wretched. What gives you value? Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes in your life, and when he takes over your life, when he's your master, when he gives you a gift, now you're not a nobody. But it's only because of Jesus Christ. He gets the glory. God gets the glory. And are you a somebody? Yes, in a sense you are a somebody. But why are you a somebody? Because God gifted you and he made you a somebody. And so all the glory goes to God. So in the end, I can't claim any glory for myself because who I am is exactly who God made me to be and it's exactly how God equipped me. And so everything I do, I end up saying, it had nothing to do with me, it all has to do with God. One pastor illustrated it like this. This is a true story. There was a baseball umpire in the major leagues by the name of Bill Clem. He was an interesting guy, and one day he was umpiring an important game. There was a guy on third base, and the batter hit a deep fly to left field. The left fielder went way back, caught the ball. He had a shotgun, shotgun arm, and he rifled the ball home as the runner on third broke for the plate. It was a perfect throw on one hop to the catcher. The ball, the catcher, and the runner all hit the plate at the same time as dust flew everywhere. The umpire hesitated in his decision until the dust cleared. One bench screamed, He's out! He's out! And the other bench screamed, He's safe! He's safe! Bill Clem turned around and he looked at both benches and he said, He ain't nothing till I call it. Here's my point. God looks at us and he says, you ain't nothing till I call it. But when I call it, you're a something. And you're worth something to this body. You play a valuable part to this body and it needs you. Don't withdraw and don't elevate yourself You get in there and you play your part because it's exactly where I wanted you. We serve for the glory of God and we keep it between those lines. Let me pray. God, it's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking we're nobodies. It's easy for us to look around and see people that are so talented, to see people that are so gifted. And we think, well, if I'm not like that, I must just be a nobody. Father, pull us out of that ditch of self-pity, that prideful arrogance that says, I deserve better. And help us to view whatever gifts we've received as wonderful, magnificent, important 
giftings of yours. I pray you'd help us use them to the best of our ability in whatever capacity you've called us. And if nobody ever sees our gifts because we're behind the scenes, nobody ever one time acknowledges the importance of our gifts. Father, I pray that we would remember that you give greater honor to those that are indispensable. That one day we'll stand in heaven and you'll give the honor that's deserved. We don't need the praise of men. We live for the praise of God. And Father, for others that may be here that say, pridefully, I am somebody. I am very important. Everyone must acknowledge me. Father, I pray that you would also grant forgiveness for the prideful attitude of that person. And I pray that you would cause each of us to understand that no matter what gift we have, we can't do it alone. We're not a football team of one. And Father, I pray that you would help us in humility to recognize those around us who contribute so much that allow us to do what we do. And Father, I pray that together, as the nobodies are brought up and as the somebodies are brought down, that together we find our significance, not in ourselves, not in our gift, but in Jesus Christ who has made us that way. And Father, I pray that our singular goal in life would be to serve Jesus Christ, to live wholeheartedly for him, to love God and to love neighbors. And as we love neighbors, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we hurt with those who hurt. Father, let us be one. We pray and we ask your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.